Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. Today it's me, Jeff, and Aaron and Greg, and we're going to be talking a bit about buying mountain bikes online. We posted a series of articles last week about different bikes that are being sold online, and we wanted to talk a little bit more in depth about some of the issues with buying mountain bikes online. So one of the first sort of complaints or issues that some of our readers brought up about buying bikes online is that it's not always easy to get the bike set up. Not everybody knows how to assemble a bike and that's a sort of valuable service that bike shops are providing. So what do you guys think about setting up your own bike? I know a lot of the bikes that we get in for review come in a box, you know, they're shipped directly to us and we usually set those up. So what's, what's been your experience with having a bike shipped directly to you? Most bikes are fully assembled at a assembly factory, um, you know, typically overseas, and then they're semi disassembled to be shipped off to your local bike shop. So, um, generally, you know, most of the specialized jobs are already handled, you know, you, the headsets are going to be pressed in, um, bottom brackets are installed. Generally speaking, fork steer tubes are going to be trimmed. Brake lines are going to be trimmed. Um, honestly, you know, if you have some mechanical inclination, you can put together most bikes with just a multi-tool. Um, you know, tuning it is a different story. Um, you know, getting the derailleurs and everything dialed in and, you know, maybe aligning your brake calipers. But, uh, you know, it's not like you're just getting this, this like big ass box with a, with a bunch of parts and you're expected to, to put it all together yourself. But, um, you know, if you're not comfortable doing anything, then, you know, definitely take it to your local shop. Yeah, I agree with what Aaron said. Um, I think it's interesting just to think about like the different levels of mechanical skill that different riders have, you know, I know the first couple of bikes I had shipped to me from Airborne, I was super nervous about putting them together um, because I didn't really have the technical know-how um, and I didn't want to like really mess something up. So I took them to a shop. Um, since that time, you know, obviously we do this all the time now. So it's just become pretty commonplace. Um, so it really depends on who you are and what your confidence level is with a wrench. You know, I'll, I'll say specifically some of the bikes that I've had delivered to me directly. Usually the only thing you got to do is like put the wheels on and attach the handlebar. I mean, that's about the extent of it, depending on who's shipping it out. Some companies, um, depending on the box that they use and stuff, they may not be able to get like the brake calipers on there and things. But yeah, like you guys said, it's it's usually pretty straightforward, but I could definitely see how some people might not be comfortable with doing that. And one thing I would like to add is, you know, like Aaron said, some factories put them together and partially disassemble them. You know, Canyon, for one, assembles the bike, tunes it. They have somebody ride it like around the factory, do a little test ride on it to make sure everything is good. And then they just like take the bars off, stick it in a box and ship it to you. Whereas I've had other bikes come in where – you know, your entire drivetrain needs to be tuned and dialed. You know, the brake calipers are off. You need to dial in that setup, you know, and the entire bike needs a, you know, a big once over and a lot of adjustment to get it running right. Whereas other brands will have everything, you know, ready to go and will work for you for hundreds of miles before you need to start messing with something. So um, it really depends on who's shipping it. Yeah, good point. 
So one of the other things that some people brought up is, you know, sort of the risk of buying online. You don't know all the time who you're dealing with in terms of who you're buying from. And specifically this past week, we had some people talking to us about an issue with a Kickstarter campaign. Um, basically, there was a, a bike brand, a new bike brand that was launching on, uh, actually, I believe it was Indiegogo. And the a bunch of people gave this person that they didn't know a lot of money to buy bikes and the bikes haven't shown up yet. And so there's definitely that risk, but do you guys see this as a risk, um, in terms of buying from, you know, third party sites like Jensen USA or somebody like that? I don't really see it as an issue as long as you're buying from a reputable site. You know, I think things can get a a little sketchier if you're, you know, buying something, via eBay maybe or something like that. But um, there's still going to be some form of buyer protection on eBay, assuming you're paying with PayPal. But, um, you know, the, the major sites like, you know, Jensen or Price Point or Chain Reaction, something like that, I think those are such huge companies and so well-established that if I were purchasing a bike from them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned that it was a, you know, that the – the goods were actually going to show up. But, you know, when you're talking about something like an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter campaign, something like that, like that is, you know, you're essentially, um, you know, you're an investor in that company and there's always risk when you're investing. And part of that risk in a bicycle company is that you're not going to see the product. You know, I think a lot of that boils down to the people who are starting these companies maybe have no idea what the hell they're doing, honestly. And they have really unrealistic timelines for, um, you know, how long things are going to take, you know, they, they may have a good idea, but they don't have a partner factory lined up wherever, whoever's going to manufacture their bike. They're not realistic about the lead times, uh, for the actual manufacturing and then shipping. And then, you know, those things take a, a long, long time. I mean, that's why, you know, major mountain bike companies deal in, you know, two and three year product cycles, you know, they're already finalizing spec for, you know, probably 2018 bikes at this point, just because that's what it takes to get a product to market. Totally agree with Aaron. Um, and I would just say, you know, if you're buying from somebody who has a really good reputation, you know, things are probably going to work out for you. But in general, I think I'm just much less trusting than a lot of people out there. You know, you have these people buying cheap Chinese frames, you know, from overseas. You have people funding these Kickstarter campaigns. Like, personally, I'm never going to put my money into any of that crap, you know? Like, I want to know, like, I'm getting the product I want when I want it, and that's, you know, that's a safe purchase. I'm not going to, like, gamble my dollars, personally. You know, if it's, say, buying from a site I've used before, like Jensen USA, or from a reputable direct-to-consumer brand like Airborne Bicycles or Canyon, you know, that's one thing. But dropping $1,000 on a crowdfunding campaign, I mean, no thanks. Greg is what we call (laughs) risk-averse. Yeah, man. I mean, especially, I I really am, especially with, like, my dollars, you know? Yeah, Um, for sure. And, uh, you know, the other thing I'm risk-averse about is when you're not sure about whether or not something's going to fit you. So, for instance, like shoes or helmets or things like those, I, I never buy them online because I want to try them out before I put my dollars down, you know? And I think we're going to get to 
test rides on bikes in a second here, but I would be pretty hesitant to even buy a bike online if I haven't had a chance to test ride it in person yet. So yeah, I kind of, kind of am. I think too, it just comes down to using your common sense. And we had just last week as well, somebody asking on the forums about a particular online retailer is one I'd never heard of, but they had all kinds of bikes seemingly for sale. They had, you know, a lot of different Konas and, you know, Kona doesn't really, they had specialized bikes and the prices were good and it looked like they had good inventory, but you know, I looked around the site for just a minute and I was like, wait a minute, they don't have a phone number. They don't have any kind of physical location. I mean, I don't even know what country this website is set up in or where this company is. So, you know, if you can't find basic information out about who you're doing business with, then I would say it's not a good idea to do business with them. Caveat on tour, right? Right, right. So, one of the things that I've always wondered about buying bikes online is why you can't customize a new mountain bike like a Dell computer. I mean, <laughs> Dell, you know, Dell was that was the man back in the 90s with their whole direct consumer model where, you know, you basically just you start with a box and you put whatever parts you want into it. And so what I want to know is why do you guys think that we don't see that in the bike industry where you you just start with a frame and then you can put you know, sort of any part you want on it and get a reasonable price for the build. You actually can, um, you know, maybe not directly from manufacturers necessarily, but I know if you go to a competitive cyclist site, you know, they, they sell some very high end brands. They sell Santa Cruz, they sell, um, Yeti, Niner amongst others. And you can either choose one of their build kits prepackaged or you can get a frame and you can go through and literally pick out every single component. I mean, you know, you can you can uh, change the headset if you want. You can choose your your stem, the length, you can choose the bar. So there are, um, you know, there are some retailers out there doing it. Maybe it's not coming from the manufacturers, at least not yet. Although I will say, um, I just saw that Cohen Saul is has rolled out a similar program it might be only either in the uk or europe right now but as a coincide continues to grow in the u.s i'm sure we could see that happen here but it's the same thing you, you start out with a bare frame and you choose your shock and you can choose every little piece of equipment on your bike and uh you know actually played around with their bike builder a little bit and it's you know you're, there's not really an there's no upcharge for, for doing that. Like, you know, the, the, the price of the complete bike that you spec is going to come out comparable to, you know, one of their pre-built bikes. Well, finally, I feel like I'm living in the future. <laughs> Ibis has been doing this for years. I mean, you might not be able to pick every single part, but they'll offer you a ton of variable options via their website for each frame, you know, and they won't even have it limited by brand. You know, if you want Shimano XTR, you can do that. If you want SRAM XX1, you can do that. And like all the way down through the lines with a bunch of different build kits with every you know possible brand for all of their frames. Uh, the actually the original Airborne bicycles uh, back in the early 2000s, that was their business model was titanium frames straight to consumer, and you put whatever you wanted on it and ordered it online. But they were. <laughs> ahead of the curve for the bike industry and you know that they went belly up and the name was you know bought and then repurposed into a new brand um, these days it was really interesting to talk with some of the employees when i was 
um, sponsored by Airborne that were with the original Airborne. And, you know, they thought that business model was like, you know, about a decade ahead of its time. Now, like Aaron was saying, it's coming back out. But one of their issues was as a relatively small company, keeping enough stock on hand to turn around these bikes in like less than a week. You know, somebody wants some obscure like bar on there um, with a random drivetrain that you may or may not have in stock. Like keeping enough parts can be difficult unless you're like a really big company. Right, exactly. I think that's why, you know, someone like competitive cyclists doing it, it works better for them because they're not just a, you know, they're not a bike company. They they sell everything. You know, you can go to their site and buy, you know, clothing and shoes and helmets and all the components. So they already have that stuff in stock. So they definitely have a lot more flexibility than a bike brand itself trying to, you know, mix and match the guy that wants an XTR crank set with a SRAM rear derailleur, but wants formula brakes. As a consumer, I mean, hopefully we'll see more and more opportunities like this where we can customize our bikes a little bit more because not everybody, you know, is the same size and has the same taste. So that's good to see that that's starting to happen. So when buying a bike online or when buying a bike in general, how important is a test ride? I mean, not everyone is a pro reviewer, you know, like, like us, where we're able to go to these demo events and try a bunch of different bikes at once. But how do you know which one to buy if you don't actually get to put your hands on it before you buy it? A test ride is super important, and I would recommend that everybody does put their hands on it before they buy it, unless it's like a pretty vanilla bike, like a Hardtail 29 or something of that nature. You know, those are all going to be roughly the same. If you're especially looking at a higher end bicycle, um, here are a few strategies for getting on a bike before you actually put down your money, especially if you're buying online. The money you could invest in getting to a quality demo event would be money well spent to ensure that the money you spend down the road on the actual bicycle you know, is the bike you really want. If you can identify like the closest major demo event to you, whether it be something like Outer Bike, Sea Otter, Mountain Bike Oregon or one of Interbike's new demo events that they're putting on. I would say even if you drop five hundred to a thousand dollars to get there and ride bikes, like that's a good investment. Not only do you have a fun time riding bikes, but you know that the bike you're gonna buy is the best one for you. If you can't get to a big event, or if you know roughly what bike you want and what dealer you want it from, I would try to get to a dealer specific demo day. Uh, most brands are running their demo fleets all over the nation, and while you might not have one in your hometown, chances are if you plan out far enough in advance and you look at the calendar, you can find one in your home state at least from the brand you're interested in. I would really recommend just riding, riding bikes. Yeah, that's definitely a good strategy. I wonder if we'll see the online retailers starting to do their own demo events You know, where they bring in the bikes that they sell and put them all together somewhere and, you know, move it around the country. seems like that might be a good way to get people comfortable with buying bikes online. It depends on the size of the company too, you know, because some of these companies are working with really little overhead and that's why they're offering discounted rates. So, you know, they might not have the marketing budget. But for instance, Airborne Bikes, I mean, they'll run demo events near their factory and they get out to a few key events like they're at Seattle this year for people to ride bikes. So... Um, I think that's a really smart move on the part of brands like that. Yeah, Greg, you have some really good advice there. You know, and I, I definitely think a 
a test ride is is important but I also you know I kind of have a theory that you can get used to riding almost anything you know I know some of some of the guys I ride with here um you know like my buddy Alex for example he's uh until recently he had you know probably the most clapped out single speed you've ever seen with like you know a blown out white brothers fork on it that you know hadn't worked since you know the the bush presidency but it's like you know and he and he's super fast like he's faster than i am you know so i think it's i think you can get used to almost riding almost anything and you know if the bike doesn't do something exactly like you want you know you have to keep in mind that every bike is a is a compromise like we talked about before and you know if it turns out you just can't stand the bike sell it um you know in most cases it's not like you're buying a completely unknown commodity you know you've you probably read if there's a bike in particular you're interested in you've probably read every single review you could find on it um you know you've probably studied the spec sheet and compared it to bikes that you've ridden that you like or you know maybe your past bikes so you know you really pour over the geometry charts and everything like that and that can tell you a lot about a bike it doesn't tell you everything if you can get out and test ride a bike i'd definitely recommend it like greg said you know um Attending a demo day, you know, Niner, Pivot, Santa Cruz, uh, Intense, Salsa, they all have full, full-time demo fleets that all they do is, you know, travel around the country. You know, we just had a uh, Salsa did a demo event at Blankets Creek here in Atlanta last weekend, and they're out here typically twice a year. So um, there's no shortage of those events. So if there's a brand that you're interested in and, you know, maybe making it out to Sea Otter or interbike or something like that isn't feasible um you know check their calendar you know if you want to if you're interested in a pivot go to pivot site you know their facebook page or whatever and and see when they're going to be in your area but uh yeah and then like you said you know if you if you have a a bike in mind go to your dealer and see if they'll demo it i know i know a lot of you know a lot of bikes a lot of bike shops will rent a bike you know between 50 and 100 dollars a day and you can you know, take that bike out for an entire day and ride the shit out of it. And, and that's a really good way to, to, to get very well acquainted with it. You know, especially if you can spend a full day instead of just, you know, maybe at a demo day, maybe you get half an hour or an hour or something ride. Not that anyone's endorsing showrooming though, in terms of getting the bike no. from your local bike shop and then buying it online. But what Aaron's saying, you know, is like a lot of these local shops will rent these high end bikes, you know, at the tune of a hundred dollars a day. I mean, that's a, that's a bike rental. So it's not like you're like showing up and like, Hey, I want to buy this bike from you. Let me ride it for free. You know, you're putting down your money to actually ride it. So I don't see why there'd be anything wrong with that. It's true though. A lot of times if they're renting that bike, they probably are also a dealer for them, but yeah, I could see that because you are paying them some money. So we talked a lot about the, some of the pitfalls involved in buying a bike online and you know, for a lot of people, I think the the draw or the thought is that we're going to be buying bikes online because it's cheaper. But I personally don't necessarily think that's the ideal customer because of the some of the issues that we brought up. So who do you guys think is the ideal buyer for a bike that's being sold online? I think, uh, I think you do have kind of two types of the ideal uh, customer for online bike sell, uh, online bike sellers. You know, I think you have the people at the the low price point who are just looking for the best deal. You know, they're not necessarily brand loyal. Um, maybe they don't care about having the latest and greatest. They just want 
a solid bike they can ride and you know they don't really care whose name is on the down tube so i think that's that's part of it and then i think at the higher price point um you have a rider that knows exactly what they want you know they have very specific um needs requirements uh wants out of a bike and um you know there's still i think there's still a bit of price consciousness going on there um but i think it's it's the more experienced rider who is very specific with uh with what they want out of a bike yeah i agree with aaron um not time to add to that just you know in the podcast that we recorded a few days ago i sort of talked about not being able to find the exact bike i'd be interested in uh in any of the dealers close to me and on the higher end i think that's a really big draw knowing exactly what bike you want even if it's a pretty rare bike and being able to order it no matter where you're located um, is pretty awesome. Maybe I'll disagree a little bit about the low end of the bike market in terms of that buyer to me is someone who doesn't necessarily know how to assemble a bike. And, you know, it can be, like we said earlier, it can be kind of overwhelming. And while the lure of low prices, you know, may entice people to do that, I personally think that that's not the ideal customer. I mean, that's even as an online seller, you don't want that person because they're going to be um, hassling you a lot about customer service and how do I do this and how do I do that? And this doesn't work. And well, that's because you installed the fork backwards. Um, <laughs> so yeah, to me that the ideal customer is someone who knows what they're doing, knows what they really want. And, you know, they don't need a lot of that handholding in terms of, figuring out which bike to buy. And then once they have the bike, how do I set it up and how do I dial it in and that sort of thing. So with this sort of ideal customer in mind, how broad do you guys think the market for online bike sales will be? Like what, what percentage of mountain bikers will be buying their bikes online, you know, say five years from now? Well, I've actually got some stats for this and maybe this will uh, change your position a little bit, Jeff, but uh <laughs> According to the National Bicycle Dealers Association, their 2014 industry overview, um, internet bike sales accounted for less than 1.5% of the 18 million bikes sold that year. Hmm. And the average price of a bike sold online was only $330. So, you know, I think we would all agree that that's fairly low end. Um, but you're also seeing, you know, fewer local bike shop visits. You know, local bike shop visits are down almost 20% since 2012. Um, so I think you could see a fairly quick flip-flop, you know. I think you could see more and more bikes being sold online, particularly with more experienced riders as we were talking. I mean, with companies you see like YT coming to the U.S., you see Comensal coming to the U.S., and now Canyon's talking about coming to North America um, this, I think it could really, you know, it could really take hold and, um, you know, really change consumers buying habits. But I think in five years, I think a, a realistic number would maybe be 10 to 15% of bikes sold online. But yeah, that would be a huge shift, I guess, too. If, if only 1% are doing it now, I mean, that's 10 or 15 times right. where we're at now. So yeah, that's pretty dramatic. There seems to be a lot of interest among consumers in buying bikes online just based on, you know, what we do with single tracks in terms of um, our email newsletters and our deals newsletters. I mean, the thing that gets the highest click through 
uh, is typically mountain bikes, complete bikes. People are clicking on them and I don't know that they're necessarily buying them. I mean, um, maybe people are sort of comparison shopping, but to me, that's one of the big advantages, even of just having bikes available for sale online is that you can at least comparison shop more easily and get a good idea of what real prices are going to be before you step into your bike shop. And, you know, in a lot of cases, maybe, maybe that's going to enable some reverse showrooming. I mean, we did a, a survey a few months back where it seemed like a lot of people were doing, I mean, obviously showrooming would be if you go to your local bike shop and look around and you see what you want and then you go buy it online. But it turns out more people are actually researching online first. They're reading reviews, they're checking prices and things like that. And then they're going into their bike shop, you know, knowing exactly what they want and exactly how much they want to pay for it. So um, I think even if people aren't buying bikes online, it's a good thing that there's at least that option and that that information is available to, you know, consumers. Well, cool. This has been a fun discussion and definitely one that we're going to continue to talk about in the years to come, I'm sure. Thanks again for joining us for the Single Tracks podcast. We'll catch you next time. Peace.